0: these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. Dear Lord, I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to me in my time of need. Thank you for allowing me to come to you at any time and find peace that this world cannot give. Remind me that when trouble strikes, I don't have to go through any of it alone or in despair. You are always with me, and you will comfort and strengthen me. Life is hard sometimes, but you remind me that you have already overcome every challenge or obstacle I will face. You have won the victory. Thank you, Jesus, for giving up everything for me. For dying on the cross to win that victory. No matter how hard things get, I can be confident in your love for me. I can stand strong in the hope and the courage and the strength you give me. God, give me a wise heart, a heart that turns to you in times of need, rather than seeking worldly answers that only leave me empty. Help me to hold on to your magnificent promises whenever I feel overwhelmed. Remind me that you are with me and that together we will accomplish tremendous feats for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's
1: podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at America's Christian CU dot com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm excited for you to join me on Heroes in the Bible. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you get the newest episodes right as they come out. Welcome to The Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, Jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, we're still trapped in a dark period of David's life. His sin has created a ripple effect, and his family is in disarray. I wish I could say there were redeeming moments in this episode, but unfortunately, this time in David's life is one long downward spiral. There's always ultimate hope in Jesus, but for David, everything seems out of his grasp. This episode features less of David and more of his children. We will get our first glimpse into the princes and princesses of the king's palace. It is going to be jarring for us to listen to David's sons. They don't resemble their father in the slightest. As the dysfunction ensues, we can't help but be discouraged. We thought David would be a better father than this. I would also like to offer a fair warning about this episode. There is a scene that depicts sexual violence and abuse. These scenes should make all of us feel uneasy, but we thought it was important not to admit aspects of David's story. It should sadden us all to observe David's household. Familial strife can sometimes pose a greater challenge than giants and armies. Will our hero be able to rise to the occasion, or will he fall into the apathy of many distant fathers?
6: Prelude to Chapter 25 Behold, the sword shall never depart from your house because of the violence you enacted upon Uriah. Violence will plague your household, and strife will come upon you. These haunting words from the prophet Nathan to King David proved to be true. The power of generational sin was not to be underestimated. David's bloodshed against Uriah would have an enduring ripple effect on his family for generations to come. The addition of Bathsheba and Solomon to the family would create new rifts between the king's wives and the king himself. Siblings would be born under the same roof but with different parents. Affections would be removed and misplaced, and the familial strife would tear the entire nation apart. David's compromise with Bathsheba created long-lasting scars that would not be mended easily. David's wives would feel betrayed and lied to. David's children would lose respect for him. Although David had mastered the art of conquering armies and toppling giants, he found himself ill-equipped to lead his family and love them well. His ignorance would lead to greater turmoil within his family, and bloodshed would ensue. Yet in David's family, there are glimpses of redemption. Although generations after him would continue down the path of sin and compromise, God would be faithful and enduring. He would press in and bless David's lineage despite their flaws, because there was a greater mission taking place, a greater kingdom being established, a kingdom not built on the fragility of military conquest and empirical power, rather a kingdom built on the foundation of love, justice, sacrifice, and a hero that binds the whole universe together the Messiah. Chapter 25, The Exiled Sun. The mid-afternoon sun rested high above Jerusalem, sending down radiant beams of warmth. The summer's heat had been cruel, and Tamar cooled herself off by the well in front of the palace. She patted the back of her neck with a wet cloth, trying desperately to stay cool. She leaned over the well and splashed her face. She breathed in deeply, enjoying a brief respite from the unrelenting heat. However, her moment of peace was short-lived when she saw a reflection of someone behind her. She turned around and gasped, yelling and grabbing her chest. However, she saw that it was only Amnon, her half-brother. Amnon stepped back and gasped as well, taken back by her response. I, I didn't mean to frighten you, he said with a smile.
7: I was just coming to get a drink of
6: water, then I found you here all alone. Tamar shook her head and chuckled.
5: Uh, I am sorry, Amnon. I thought I was alone. I did not hear you coming. Here, let me pour you some water.
6: Tamar took a ladle from the well and poured it into Amnon's water skin. She gave an awkward smile and bowed her head apologetically. Although they were half-siblings, both children of King David, they did not treat each other as such. Most of the children were only close to their full siblings. Tamar was very close to her brother Absalom, but otherwise did not speak with most of the others unless it was during family meals. Amnon, however, was a slight exception. He cared very much for Tamar and was never too far away from her. She could sense that Amnon's affection for her was slightly more than platonic. However, there was nothing in her power to deter him from being present. They both lived in the household of the king, after all. Amnon quietly sipped his water skin and looked at Tamar. The silence was uncomfortable for her but Amnon never seemed to have an issue with it. He simply stared and smiled while she went about her business. Amnon's personality was perhaps the opposite of his father's. While David was humble and brave at heart, Amnon was more entitled and temperamental. It is why David never trusted him to battle on his behalf. That distinct privilege was usually given to Absalom, the second son, and Tamar's brother. Tamar covered her hair and retrieved more water to put in her pail.
5: It was lovely seeing you, brother. I will talk to you tomorrow evening when we have our family meal.
6: Tamar took her pail and walked back to the house. Amnon stared as she left, pining after her with unnatural desires in his heart. He thought she was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. Her light brown hair tucked behind her head covering. She had stunning green eyes and fair skin. Amnon could not take his eyes off her. He leaned over the well and smiled. He watched as her hips swayed back and forth as she walked away. His eyes were glazed over with desire, and he found himself lost in his own imagination. Even when Tamar was no longer in sight, Amnon still stared in her direction, lost in his own fantasies. However, his crude thoughts were interrupted when his friend Jonadab walked by. Oh there, my noble prince, Amnon! He yelled with enthusiasm. He was also the son of David's brother Shimea. He was a wiry and tall young man with awkward and gangly features. His unfiltered enthusiasm and questionable character vexed most of the members of David's household. However, he was Amnon's only friend. He leaned over the well beside Amnon and put his arm around him.
7: What troubles you, dear cousin? No more money to pay for more women?
6: Jonadab gave a boisterous (laughs) laugh that nobody but Amnon loved. The prince shook his head and gestured towards the palace.
7: No, my friend. There is only one woman I truly desire. And what woman, may I ask, is not within the reach of David's firstborn son? Jonadab asked. You can have your pick of the litter. Who on earth could you be pining after?
6: I am in love with
7: Tamar, Absalom's
6: sister. Amnon said with a (laughs) sigh. Jonadab laughed out loud, spitting out some of the water he was sipping.
7: Absalom's sister! You mean your sister too, eh? You mean to tell me you are in love with your
6: half-sister? Jonadab jeered at Amnon and continued to mock him.
7: And not just any of the dozens of half-sisters, but the one whose brother is a raging psychopath.
6: Amnon nodded his head and frowned. I
7: want her, Jonadab. I want her so ferociously it makes me sick to my stomach. Night after night I tremble with desire. I am burning and nothing seems to quench my inner fire. Well, then what is to stop you from taking her?" Jonadab said with
6: a devious smile.
7: Come on. You are the prince and heir to the throne. She would be lucky to share a bed with you. Go on and take her for yourself. Quench that fire that burns within you. Surely she would never think of such a thing. If I asked, she would turn me away.
6: Amnon said, shaking his head. Jonadab gave a wicked and almost serpent-like grin.
7: You don't need to ask. What?
6: Amnon said, confused.
7: Pretend you are sick, deathly sick. No doubt the king's attention will be on you. He will want to do anything to keep you healthy. So when he visits, tell him that you want your sister, Tamar, to come and take care of you. Tell him you need her to prepare your food and bring it to your bed. And when she comes, you have your way with her.
6: Jonadab's suggestion was clearly wicked, and completely outside the will of God. However, Amnon smiled at the idea. His burning passion outweighed his judgment, and he chose to go through with Jonadab's plan. The next morning, Amnon feigned illness. He pretended to writhe in pain in his bed. He moaned and wailed for the entire house to hear. Finally, David came to attend to his son. Amnon, David said, What has happened to make you so ill? I haven't the slightest idea, father. Amnon said, faking a cough.
7: I fear that this might be the end of me.
6: David furrowed his brow and shook his head in concern. No, Amnon, we cannot lose you. What can I do to help?
7: There is maybe one thing.
6: Amnon said, doing his best to hold back a smile.
7: Please, let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of her homemade cakes. She is so talented in how she prepares them. Perhaps they will liven my spirits.
6: David stroked his son's hair and placed a hand on his face. He smiled with the doting gaze of a father. Of course, he said.
0: I will send for her.
6: David left the room, and Amnon propped himself up on the bed and snickered. (laughs) He could not wait for what was going to happen next. Hours later, Amnon heard a knock at his door. Tamar entered the room with a pan of her freshly baked cakes. She bowed her head and smiled at him.
5: How are you feeling, brother?
6: She asked gently. Amnon's eyes were intense with avarice. His hands trembled at the very sight of her. He could barely contain his boiling hot desire for her.
5: There he is staring again.
6: Tamar thought to herself.
5: I must be quick.
6: Tamar faked a smile and brought the pan to the bedside.
5: I have brought you the cakes you requested. I hope you like them. I have done something different to the dough.
6: Amnon ignored her. Instead, he gestured to the servants in the room. Leave us. He said with authority. The servants departed from the room, and Tamar began to grow uncomfortable. Amnon smiled and said, You
7: are sweet to bring me these, dear sister.
6: He whispered. He gently caressed her arm.
7: You have always been so sweet and caring to me, unlike the others.
6: Tamar pulled her arm away and smirked uncomfortably.
5: Your cakes, Amnon. Here, I shall leave them here at your bed and you may get some rest.
6: I do not want rest. Amnon said, grabbing her hand. I want you. Tamar tried to pull away, but Amnon's grip became stronger. Panic began to set in for her.
5: What are you doing?
6: She asked. Lie with me, Tamar. Amnon said, forcibly bringing her in close.
7: It can be just our secret.
6: He brought his lips in close to kiss her, but Tamar struggled to lean her head back.
5: Please, Amnon, do not do this. If you violate me like this, I will never get a husband. I. You think I care about that?
6: Amnon yelled.
5: You think I want any other
7: man speaking with you, holding you, or touching you? I want to be the first and only one that gets to drink you in. Smell your hair and feel your body on my own.
6: Tamar pulled away and released herself from his grip. Tears were welling up within her, but she tried to remain strong.
5: Amnon, please... Consider what you are doing.
6: She said while backing away from him. However, Amnon was aggressively walking forward. It did not seem like any words would save her. Yet she continued saying,
5: How would I be able to carry my shame if you did this to me? Not only that, but you would be like one of those outrageous fools that takes women by force.
6: Amnon was not convinced. He was still intent on taking her. She tried one last time to free herself but Amnon grabbed her by the hair and drug her to the bed.
5: Please stop, Amnon! She yelled. Please
0: stop!
6: Amnon covered her mouth so she would not scream, then proceeded to brutalize her. Amnon had his way with her, descending into the dark and recesses of human depravity. His wickedness against her was violent, cruel, and quick. He thrashed her around the bed, doing with her as he pleased, and when he was finished, He kicked her to the side of the bed and lay there in silence. He panted heavily while she lay naked on the side of the bed weeping. For years Amnon was pining after Tamar. For years he had imagined what their first evening would be like together. It was not at all what he had dreamed, and he felt a great emptiness in his soul. He hated himself for his sin, but he was too weak of a human being to admit his mistake. Instead. He projected his inner hatred onto Tamar.
7: Worthless waste of my time.
6: He sneered. Tamar did not look up. (laughs) She remained on the bed weeping. Her silence enraged him. Look at me! He shouted. Tamar looked up with frightened eyes, and Amnon descended further and further into a pit of self-loathing.
7: Get out of my
5: sight!
6: He said, spitting in her direction. (laughs) Tamar looked up, even more panicked than before.
5: Brother... If you send me away without trying to marry me, you are dooming me to a life of loneliness. To not even pay father a bride price would be a fate worse than death.
6: Amnon sat up in the bed and leaned over. His once longing and doting stare was replaced with complete animosity. He hated her with more intensity than he had ever loved her.
7: And what makes you think I would care at all about you? Now leave! before I decide to have you a second time."
6: Tamar left Amnon's chambers. She was completely shocked at what had just happened. She limped back to her bedroom. She sat down in front of the mirror and looked herself in the eyes. Her green eyes were once alive with the beautiful vibrancy of youth. Yet now, they seemed to lose their color altogether. A small blade was resting on her table for cutting fabric. She took it in her hand and began to cut the sleeves off her royal robe. Then she put ashes on her head, symbolizing grief and loss. She looked at herself blankly. Slowly, as she thought about what had happened, the dam broke. Tears burst forth, and she cried with great sorrow, so the entire house could hear her mourning. No one came to her aid. No one came to comfort her. In a house filled with people, her wails were met with silence, until Absalom her brother entered the palace from his home. He heard his sister and rushed to her. He opened the door and found her lying on the floor with the robe ripped and ashes on her forehead. He knelt down and wrapped her in his arms.
0: What has happened?
6: He whispered softly, stroking her hair. She said nothing. She continued sobbing and dug her face more into her brother's chest. He held her until she fell asleep, then left to go investigate. He heard from the servants that she had come from serving Amnon in his room, for he was ill. Absalom entered Amnon's room and looked around. Things were knocked down, and it smelled like Tamar's perfume. On the bed lay Amnon fast asleep. It did not take Absalom long to put the pieces together. He stood over his sleeping brother, staring down at him like the reaper himself. However, he did nothing. He departed from his room and closed the door gently. He stood there in the hall for a while, thinking. He slipped back into his sister's room and sat beside her bed. He watched her sleep for hours, gently stroking her hair and humming a hymn. She woke for a brief moment, and Absalom smiled.
8: How are you feeling?
6: He asked. She shrugged. She did not have to say anything for her brother to understand. Absalom nodded and asked with a straight face.
8: Was this Amnon's doing? Yes.
6: She said, whimpering. Absalom kissed her forehead and said,
8: Hold your peace, my sister. Be strong. I will take care
1: of you.
6: So Tamar moved in with Absalom, his wife, and his three sons. The family cared for her like their own.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of
9: to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews.
6: Restrictions apply. Days later, the news of Amnon's sins were brought to David's attention. He was fuming with anger. What? He shouted. The heir to my throne has raped my daughter? His half-sister? Absalom was in the room along with two more of his half-brothers, Shalib and Jeremoth, sons of Abigail. They watched their father pace by the fire, stewing over the news. How can I entrust the throne to that insolent and feeble-minded... David stopped and composed himself. Thank you for telling me. What are your thoughts on the matter, Absalom? Absalom was often asked these questions by his father. Although he was not the rightful heir, he was clearly his father's favorite, or at least second favorite to the newborn Solomon. David would bring Absalom into battle. They would discuss strategy politics, and economics together. However, David's respect for Absalom is precisely why he held his tongue regarding Amnon. Absalom did not want to say anything. He wanted David ignorant of his true feelings and intentions. Absalom was not like his brother. Amnon was a simple man of simple pleasures. Like most weak-willed men, Amnon saw what he wanted and took it immediately. This was not so for Absalom. He was a patient man, Although his blood boiled hot with rage against his half-brother, he did not act upon it. He would wait patiently as a lioness does with her prey. He would bide his time until the perfect moment, then strike when Amnon least expected it. For two years he waited, planning, preparing. Absalom knew that vengeance was better served cold. The evening stars draped over Absalom's second home in Balhazor, and the warm summer air settled in the valley. Absalom had invited many people to celebrate the sheep-shearing season with him. Fine wine and freshly made cheese filled their bellies, and they laughed into the night, sharing memories from their childhoods. On the surface, it was a perfect night of brotherly love. However, Absalom had different intentions for the evening. His gaze was fixed on Amnon the entire night. Completely ignorant of Absalom's disdain for him, Amnon continued to enjoy the hospitality, drinking of his wine and dancing to the music. The more wine he drank, the more foolish he became. The revelry continued, and Amnon was pleased at how the evening was going. Amnon had become sufficiently drunk and stumbled outside to get some fresh air. The prince meandered into the barn and plopped himself down in a pile of hay. He nestled in, dozing off in the warm summer night. However, he was a fool to think he was safe. Slowly approaching the barn door was Absalom and his servants. They waited outside talking amongst themselves. He encouraged his men, saying,
8: Do not fear what may come, men. Be courageous and be valiant.
6: They drew out their daggers and walked into the barn. The torchlight lit up the entire barn and rats scurried away at the sight. Amnon woke up to see Absalom standing over him. Absalom, what are you doing here? he slurred. He looked around, confused. How
7: did I find myself in
6: here? Absalom squatted down to Amnon's level and looked him in the eye.
8: I have been waiting for this moment for two years, Amnon.
6: He held up his dagger and pointed it at Amnon's throat. The prince, all of a sudden, found himself very sober.
7: Absalom, whatever it is that you think I have done, I assure you I haven't. If this is about Tamar, let me tell you that it is a big misunderstanding. In fact, she- Quiet, Absalom said in a calm voice. Every
8: syllable that comes out of your mouth is like grinding stones against my ears. For all your babbling and talking, you somehow manage to say
6: nothing at all.
7: Would you really return my evil with evil?
6: Amnon said nervously.
7: What would father say if he knew you did this to me?
6: Absalom chuckled and flipped his blade in his hand. His laughter was unsettling. He couldn't help himself laughing. It drew out for a long while before he sighed and shook his head.
8: I want father to know about this night. You see, when he found out about your crime against my sister, he was outraged. But he did nothing. Sure, he talked about punishing you,
6: but he barely even spoke to you about it. Absalom (laughs) continued to laugh maniacally. Amnon was more scared of his smile than he was of his blade. Our father is weak, just like you, he said. You are so weak that you had to force
8: yourself on your own sister just to feel powerful. Our father is so weak that he found out his daughter had been raped and did nothing about it. Both of you are not worthy of the throne. So yes, here I am praying that what happens tonight reaches his ears because when he hears what i have done he will know i am a stronger
7: man than he and i will be a stronger king too please absalom let's talk about this i can explain
8: no explanation necessary
6: brother he looked back at his men and nodded for them to strike they all did at once driving their blades through the prince's throat chest and stomach Absalom wiped off his blade and breathed a sigh of relief.
8: Finally, a weight off my shoulders,
6: he said. He turned to his servants and said,
8: Tell my other brothers what I have done. I want them to run in terror as well.
6: When the other sons of David heard about what Absalom did, they mounted their mules and fled immediately. Absalom sauntered back to his home and sat in his seat. He ate alone in the room, content to enjoy the silence caused by fear. The whole family would now know Absalom was not someone to be trifled with. The palace was in pandemonium. News had spread throughout Jerusalem that Absalom killed all of David's sons. Many people were in an uproar, and when news came to David, he was destroyed. He tore his garments and lay on the earth, mourning the death of his sons. Yet in the midst of the chaos, an unexpected figure of truth emerged. Jonadab, Amnon's closest friend and David's nephew, appeared. My king! He said gleefully. You look as if you've lost all
7: your heirs, except the one who killed them all.
6: I have no patience for your jokes, Jonadab. Leave me to my grief. David said somberly.
7: I shall leave you, my king.
6: Jonadab said with a bow.
7: However, I think it might be good for you to know that most of your sons are alive and well. Absalom only killed Amnon. He alone is dead.
6: David peered up at the young man, confused. Jonadab shrugged and smiled.
7: I tell you the truth. Absalom has been planning his revenge since the moment he found out about Tamar. He wanted justice, and he got it.
6: Jonadab clicked his heels and bowed to the king, then gleefully left. Even though Amnon had just been killed, Jonadab seemed immune to any sort of human feeling. David sprang to his feet in anger and yelled, Find me, Beniah!" The captain of the guard came and stood at attention. David was fuming with righteous anger. Absalom is hereby exiled from Jerusalem. If I see his face, or hear his donkeys enter into these walls, he shall die. David banished Absalom. However, he felt the pangs of guilt because of it. He knew that Absalom had only done what he did because David refused to act when necessary. He should have punished Amnon in the very beginning, yet he did not, because he was afraid of losing the heir to the throne. He was woefully mistaken and now paid the price with both of his eldest sons gone. Absalom fled from Jerusalem and went to Geshur with his family. There they remained with their flocks and herds. For 3 years he waited in exile. For 3 years David refused to send for his son or mention his name. For 3 years Absalom was stewing in his own hatred of his father. He plotted, prepared, and obsessed over his reunion with his father. David would soon learn to beware the fury of a patient man, for Absalom's greatest weapon was time. For three years, every evening was the same. As predictable as the sun setting was David's lament over his son Absalom. Joab watched each day as David's heart ached for his exiled son. His moaning had grown incessant, and Joab had reached his wit's end. My king, why do you not send for Absalom and reconcile? Joab asked sternly.
0: You and I both know that you forgave him long ago. It is time to end your reeling and bring him home. He is the heir to the throne, after all.
6: What would I say, Joab? David asked. How could I face him after three years? What kind of father banishes his son for so long. Joab rolled his eyes. He had had this conversation with David dozens of times, and they all ended the same way. The king would not relinquish his pride and bring his son home. Instead, he wallowed in self-pity and sorrow. Joab and Absalom were kindred spirits in many ways. The two of them were close when Absalom served under David's army. He was a fine warrior and had the cutthroat nature that Joab appreciated in a soldier. However, even Joab knew that Absalom was unhinged in many ways. The moral guideposts that most people had from the law of the Lord seemed to be absent in Absalom. It made him a brutal warrior, but a terrible friend. Fed up with David's constant wallowing, Joab decided to take matters into his own hands. He sought help from a woman in Tycho. He walked the streets and found her performing in front of a crowd. She was an actress and singer. Her performance enraptured the crowd and brought them in. Dozens of them gathered around her, hanging on her every word. When she was finished, Joab approached her. I have business for you, he whispered.
5: I am at your service, commander of the king. What can I do for you?
6: She replied eagerly. She knew who Joab was. Everyone in Israel knew the face of Joab. He had accomplished great things on the battlefield and was revered among many. I need you to play a part for me, he said pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. I need you to speak to the king and convince him of something for me. Joab went on to explain every elaborate detail of her job. Joab knew that the king would not listen to reason. So perhaps Joab needed to try and appeal to David's tender and empathetic heart. It was noon and David sat on his throne hearing the appeals of the people. The king did his best to make himself available to the citizens of Jerusalem. They would fall before him and make their troubles known to him. If he could help, he would. David was a compassionate man and desired for justice to be known and shown throughout the country. A woman finally entered the court. She fell on her face and paid homage to him, saying,
5: Save me, O king! Please save me!
6: What is your request? David asked regally. Make it known to me, and I will see if I can be of service to you.
5: Alas! I am a widow from Tycho, my dear king. My husband is dead and buried with his ancestors. The only joy left for me was my two precious sons. Yet they hated one another and argued incessantly. So bad was their quarreling that one of my sons killed the other.
6: The woman paused to (laughs) compose herself. If David did not know any better, it seemed as though she was faking tears. The woman continued saying,
5: Now... The entire village has risen against me. They want me to give up my son so they might punish him for killing his brother. However, if they take my son and stone him, I am left with nothing and no one. The wealth my husband left will disappear and the son I have remaining to protect me will be gone.
6: David rose up from his throne and sat beside the woman. His smile was kind and reassuring. Go to your house in peace, the king said i will give orders to the elders of Tiko concerning you i will be your protection if they take your son the king was very gracious in his offer however the woman had her own request
5: my king might i please implore of you and the lord to not punish my son may he live to take care of me
6: david paused and pondered the request they were special circumstances and the king did not want this woman suffering So he agreed, saying, I will pardon your son of his crimes. As the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be harmed. The woman lay her hands at David's feet and said,
5: Thank you, my kind and generous king. The Lord bless you for your mercy.
6: Then she peered up and smiled.
5: Uh, Please, Lord, would you allow me to say one thing to the king?
6: Speak. David said plainly, curious about what would happen next.
5: Why have you shown yourself to be a hypocrite to the people of God? You pardon my son, but you convict yourself because you do not bring your banished son home and pardon him for his crimes. My king, I have come here on behalf of the people to request you bring Absalom home. You are a wise king and able to discern good and evil. May you use the same wisdom on yourself that you have on me today.
6: The woman stood to her feet and bowed her head and smiled.
5: I have said my peace. Thank you for hearing me. I shall be on my way.
6: As the woman departed, David peered at her. Then, as she was leaving, he stopped her. "Stop," he commanded. She turned around. "Come to me," he said sternly. She did as she was told and knelt down before the king. He stood over her and looked down. "No more games, woman." "'I will ask you a question, and you will answer me plainly. "'Do you understand?' She nodded in agreement. David knelt down and looked her in the eyes intensely. It was not a pleasant stare. In his eyes were wisdom and truth. "'Did Joab tell you to say these things?' He asked. The woman gulped and nodded. She gave a nervous laugh and said,
5: Uh, "'Surely nothing gets past you, my king.' (laughs) Joab was the one who told me to say these things. He desired to change your heart concerning your son. However, you have the wisdom necessary to make the right decision. That much has been made clear.
6: You may go, David said. On your way out, you will find Joab to the left of the entrance. Tell him to come in. The woman bowed and did as she was told. Joab walked in after she left and knelt down before the king. He was visibly nervous knowing full well that he had just been caught red-handed for trying to manipulate the king. However, David's demeanor was unexpected. He was relaxed and calm. He looked at Joab and said, Commander, I know you are close with my son. Behold, I grant your wish. Go and bring him back here to Jerusalem. Joab let out a sigh of relief. He was sure that David was going to punish him. However, deep down, David wanted Absalom back in Jerusalem. This was an excellent excuse for him to allow him back. Joab bowed his entire body before David and said, Your mercy continues
0: to astound me, my king. For all our years you have continually shown the grace of God. Thank you for granting my request.
6: Joab arose and departed from Jerusalem to Geshur, where Absalom and his family resided. The prince was coming home.
9: Alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit paramountplus.com/shy to get a 50 percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
4: Right here, right now, find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next-day installation, and all backed by the Right Price Guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
2: Although David has mastered the art of conquering armies and toppling giants, he found himself ill-equipped to lead his family and love them well. That certainly turned out to be true. The curse Nathan gave in the prelude manifested itself in this episode. The poor judgment of David has snowballed into complete familial unrest. His multiple wives' neglect, scandal, and absentee parenting has left his home in disarray. This episode highlights the chaos caused by a father's sin. The generations that come up after us will live in the wake of our decisions. The degeneracy of David's children ought to be a warning to us as parents. It takes dedication, attentiveness, and love to build up a child, but our children can be easily undone by our sin and neglect. A prevailing theme in Scripture is that each generation, if they aren't attuned to God, are doomed to repeat the sins of their forefathers. Many will be mindful to break the cycle so we don't pass our parents' sins to the next generation. Amnon's sins were hideous and worthy of contempt. Perhaps David, in his better years, would have dealt with him righteously, balancing judgment and mercy as he was known to do. However, in this episode, he is paralyzed. The man who slew giants was unable to face his own children. His inability to face his sons was the main source of strife in this episode. He was unable to punish Amnon, and he was unable to reconcile with Absalom. Both turned out to end poorly. Here is another truth we must take to heart. There is such a thing as a sin of omission. James says, To him who knows what is good and does not do it, to him that is sin. Sin doesn't always mean doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it means neglecting to do the right thing. David, in both instances with his sons, fails to do the right thing. We think if we ignore our problems that they will magically go away. However, The opposite tends to be true. The longer we neglect our problems, the worse they become. Next episode will remind David of that. This episode begs the question, where is David and why does he seem so absent in this episode? He clearly cares about what's going on, but he doesn't seem to do anything about it. The writing style of this episode gives us a few clues as to what the issue might be. David is mostly absent when it matters in this episode, and most of the important plot lines involve his children. We are seeing the world through their lens. It is not that David is gone. He is simply doing other things. We have been following David this whole time as he slays kings, liberates kingdoms, and writes music. This episode reminds us that while all of that was happening, his children were living their own lives apart from their father. For all of David's strengths, He did not live up to his calling as a father. For all his victories, he failed to succeed where it mattered most. If your home isn't in order, then any success outside it becomes meaningless. The book of Hosea has this haunting verse that applies to this situation. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. We can often think if we put in no effort, we will get nothing in return. Some people are okay with that deal they can be lazy and nothing will change. But that verse in Hosea tells us that those who put in no effort, sow the wind, will actually create chaos in their lives, reap the whirlwind. You can't do nothing and expect things to stay the same. It is an objective fact that most things deteriorate when they are neglected. At the end of the episode, David is paralyzed with grief. He exiled Absalom, but felt guilty for keeping him away. This is an obnoxious version of David we aren't used to seeing. He seems benign and ineffectual. It would seem that age, compromise, and guilt have tamed the giant slayer. He eventually lets Absalom back in, but only after a creative effort by Joab, who tried to use the same tactic as Nathan from the last episode. What will it take to get the warrior poet back? It seems like the real David is hibernating somewhere in a cave. David better figure things out soon because Absalom is coming back to the city and we have seen what type of evil he is capable of. If he is not on guard, he may lose everything. The title of our next episode should give us a sense of what will happen next. Join us for episode 26, The Exiled Father. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. And to expand your Heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of the Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right now as they come out and always be inspired by the Bible. God bless.